It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. Our nation was founded on a bedrock principle that we are all created equal. The project of each generation is to bridge the meaning of those founding words with the realities of changing times. A never-ending quest to ensure those words ring true for every single American. Progress on this journey often comes in small increments. Sometimes two steps forward, one step back, propelled by the persistent effort of dedicated citizens. And then sometimes there are days like this, when that slow, steady effort is rewarded with justice that arrives like a thunderbolt. Our former president on the day of the Supreme Court's ruling on marriage equality. And I'm Pete Mazzoni. The struggle for what the founders promised us has meant different things to different people over the history of our country. The Bill of Rights is a soaring testament to the belief in the freedom of the individual against the tyranny of the majority. But while those ideals remain aloft, they came to ground with the groups that have been historically disenfranchised. Every oppressed minority has been forced to wage an unending and fierce battle to find their place as equals amongst us. But as the oft-quoted Unitarian minister and ardent abolitionist Theodore Parker once said, You see a continual and progressive triumph of the right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eyes reach but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure it bends towards justice. As LGBT Pride Month gets underway, we'll talk about the history of the LGBT community and their fight to define their place in the American panoply with Curtis Hoover, Director of Student Affairs at Penn State Montalto. Last October, he presented a faculty and staff colloquy series talk titled, Coming Out in the U.S., An Overview. Thanks for being with us today, Curtis. Thanks for having me. Let's just get started with a little bit of your background. You want to tell us uh, how you got here? Sure. Um, well, I have a bachelor's degree in English writing from High Point University. I have a master's in educational leadership from UNC Greensboro, and I'm currently pursuing my PhD at a university in Finland. Uh, I grew up in Hagerstown, so I'm fairly local. I just left for 23 years and ended up back this way, ended up at Penn State Montalto, where I started this position last July. It's a beautiful campus they have there. Very beautiful. All right, so let's jump right into your uh, coming out program. Maybe you want to talk about how that got started. Um, Did you create this program? Sure. So I've been doing, uh, I've been working in student affairs in higher ed my entire career, and Part of that time, I've also been doing a lot of LGBT work in higher education. Um, I've worked some roles that were specifically LGBT related at Emerson College and also at Suffolk University. So everywhere I go, I tend to make sure that I'm bringing LGBT programs along with me and what I do, be it safe zone trainings or or the like. Um, so when I got to campus last year, they were looking for faculty and staff to do some uh, programs for other faculty and staff in the fall. And so that's when this came up. One of the um, faculty members for the honors program actually approached me and said, hey, would you like to do this in October? Told me it was going to be on October 11th and asked what I'd like to do. And I said, what well, makes perfect sense since that's National Coming Out Day? Mm-hmm. I should do a program about coming out. So um, 
I've taught a course in the past about uh, the coming out process, talking about what the stages are of coming out, talking about an overview of history in the U.S. So I basically threw everything into one uh, brief one-hour program at a very high sure. level, and that's where the program came from. So what is your story of coming out? Can we hear that? Sure. Um, well, I do have identify as a gay male. Uh, I'm 46 years old. I started to identify as gay when I was in high school, but didn't come out. I was from Hagerstown. Mm-hmm. It was the 80s. Yeah. So I went to college in North Carolina at a small uh, Methodist at a Christian college in the Bible Belt. So wasn't really conducive to coming out then either. So I started to uh, better develop my identity during college. And then I came out in grad school at UNC Greensboro, which is a larger public um, school where I felt much more open mm-hmm. to be um, to be able to do that. Right. So basically, I was in my low 20s. I came out um, while I was in grad school earning a master's in higher education. I uh, came out to some friends first, uh, typical process, you know, the best friend at a distance, you know, where it was really felt safe. Mm-hmm. Came out to my parents in 1995, who are both still um, living in Maryland. Uh, they've been married 60 years, so I was an only child. Um, How did this, it go with uh, your parents? It went well. I mean, um, they might actually come to this program I'm going to be doing in two weeks, so they've not okay. seen me talk about these issues before, really. So, no, it was good at the time. I mean... You know, they struggled, as a lot of parents do. And, you know, it was 1995, probably, when I told them. Yeah. So it's been over 20 years. Um, and then I took some time. And then eventually I came out. When I was living in Boston, I was living completely as an openly gay male, including in work. Everyone knew I was gay. I did gay programming. And then I decided the entire family should know. So I did a, uh, on National Coming Out Day, I mailed a letter to every individual person in my family on both sides so that I would be fully out. And that way, you know, not one person could get it and open it. I actually addressed it to each individual in the household. So that's kind of my my story. But it's always a continuing story because you come out to people throughout your life. Like every time you start a new job, um, people don't know that you're gay. I worked before Penn State. I worked for Coppin State, which is a a historically black college in Baltimore. Hmm. That was a very different place to be a white gay male. So How so? Um, well, there's just a lot of different uh, challenges sometimes around sexuality when you're looking. When there's different multiple identi- identities in, thrown in there. Could it be religion? Could it be race? Um, there weren't really any openly gay people at Coppin State when I was there. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the few. And as a white gay man, I couldn't really bring gay programming to a black, historically black college without black gay colleagues oh sure so that was a bit of a challenge but then i came to penn state Alto, where again you know now i'm in franklin county pennsylvania there's not a lot of out gay people at penn state Alto. um (laughs) i have one colleague that i'm aware of um and i have a new faculty member colleague coming on this can this year so Mm -hmm. that'd be three of us on campus so but there are quite a few about students so it's important for them to have role models on campus and so i see wherever i go it's certainly an important niche to fill so what how did things change for you when you decided to come out? I mean, this is hard for me to understand and wrap my head around. So help us help me understand, you know, what changed? Was everything different? Was the landscape different? I mean, or what happened? So, I mean, it, it even has an impact on your health. Like I was actually struggling with high blood pressure. I was 22 years old wow. and I was having issues with blood pressure because I was so stressed yeah. about telling anyone I was I was gay. So. Yeah. For me, I, I was just very hidden. You know, I, I people assumed I was asexual and because uh, I just I stopped dating women when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't date anyone. I didn't talk about relationships at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had a lot of great friends. People just didn't know that side of me. And so I kept it very concealed. But then once I started telling people, 
it just allowed me to be open with everyone, open sure. with my friends, open with family, open with um, people I meet. And again, the role model component's huge at a university because a lot of times I have students who've come out to me at Monalto this year that haven't come out to anyone else. Oh, wow. Um, because they know I'm gay. And so they, they know I'm gay. They see me as approachable. And so they've come and talked to me one-on-one. And I have not, even in a year, like I met someone in September who came and talked to me and they still have not come out to anyone else because they're just not there Interesting, yet. Interesting, yeah. Did you have uh, role models that you looked up to or did you feel like there was anybody up? Was there anybody out there you were looking at? So, I mean, <laughs> uh, when I came out, there were not many out people, mm-hmm. even on TV. And it was before Ellen. It was before Will and Grace. So, I mean, I had an RA in college who, uh, you know, resident assistant on the floor who uh, came out while I was in college. And so he was the first and only person I knew that was gay. Uh, no, no I'll, I'll take that back. I had a manager at the restaurant I worked at in Hagerstown who was gay. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, liked him, knew him well. I didn't know him super well, but he was my first, like, real impression of what gay people are. Um, but knowing that, having been out of college in North Carolina in the Bible Belt, and not knowing anyone else that was out until I met the RA, I knew how important it was for there to be people mm-hmm. that are out. And sure. so I decided immediately that when I was going to work in higher education, I needed to be an out mm-hmm. higher ed professional because I wanted to be that person that other people didn't have. Sure, sure. Okay, great. Let's talk about the program now. Sure. Um, coming out in the U.S. and overview. Your first thing, learning outcomes, what is coming out? Maybe you could help us understand what that means in terms of, you know, this program. Sure. So... I kind of try to make the program uh, something for everyone in the sense that you could come to this and have no knowledge about LGBT people or rights and and get the basics you need to, to walk away and have some information. Or you could come in feeling like you're in a good place with that knowledge and still leave with more information based on the history and so forth we're going to share. So as far as coming out, coming out is just a process from um, when you first start to internally identify as homosexual or LGBT. Homosexual is actually an outdated term. I apologize. I showed my age by saying that. Why, why is that term no longer au courant? Um, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of times it just things change in time. It's not, it seems as more clinical. Oh, okay. um, it does sound more clinical. It does. Some people even feel it's somewhat, uh, some really young LGBT people feel it's somewhat, even can see, be seen somewhat derogatory. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't at 46, but um, when I was coming out, that was a very common term. Yeah. So sometimes it still slips in where I wouldn't use the word queer. Usually personally, um, young people are very comfortable with that term. So yeah. it's partly it's a, it's an age thing. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, but so for coming out, whether you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, it's the process of first, you know, coming to terms yourself and then beginning to be more comfortable in that process. And then, uh, accepting who you are and beginning developing pride in that and then making that part of your whole person. Mm-hmm. And so you asked the question, why is it important for LGBT people to come out? Uh, what is the answer to that question? I mean, for me, it's all about visibility. Um, probably one of the most important organizations for LGBT people is PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, partly because it's an organization that's not made up of LGBT people. Hmm. It's, a, it's made up mainly of our friends and family members. Mm-hmm. And they're the folks who can get the attentions of their other friends and family members. So by coming out, every person that we tell creates another person that we impact with our story. Mm-hmm. So before I came out to my parents in 1995, my parents wouldn't have supported gay rights. Uh, even if they were open-minded, fairly liberal people, they didn't know anyone that was gay. So it wasn't important to them. They didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. But then once I told them, you know, now my parents have actually attended a march. Sure. Um, and that never would have happened. And now... You know, I have aunts and uncles who, you know, talk about these things and talk about the impact that gay people have on the world. So 
it's all about visibility. The more you come out, the more people know, the more people know, the more people are comfortable with it. Uh, yeah, to your point, it, you know, it humanizes it. it. It makes it not just a concept. It makes it a full human being, you know, with a full set of feelings and experiences. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, let's move on to your, your next bullet point there. LGBT history from 1967 to 2017. Now, you picked 1967 for what specific reason? Well, I picked it for, I just wanted to go back a clean 50 years. I Really, most historians believe that the gay rights movement in America really started with Stonewall in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were some things that happened right before Stonewall. So I'll talk about those briefly in my presentation yeah, where you always have to talk about Kinsey and, and his first book. I mean, he had a book about male sexuality, but also a book about female sexuality. And that really changed that changed the playing field. Now, what that, did he say there for people who aren't familiar? Sure. So he's basically the one that came out and said that uh, based on his research, and he did extensive research, that you know people are on a spectrum between homosexuality and heterosexuality, and that um, approximately one in 10 people have some um, LGBT identity mm-hmm. uh, in the population. And so one in 10 at the time in the 40s was shocking. No yeah, one thought sure. that like... 10% of the population could be LGBT. Yeah. And so um, there was a spectrum where you could be mainly heterosexual identifying but still have homosexual experiences or you sure. could be bisexual. People just weren't talking about it before Kinsey. And so, I mean, it's a great movie called Kinsey. Yeah, it is a good movie. Um, but there's like, he was definitely like, that was that was a changing point for people as far as awareness. And, and really, even in education, people weren't talking about it. It was mm-hmm. kind of scandalous that he had published this book and it got a lot of attention. And, uh, it, you know, it's been an important part uh, of our history. And now he's being borne out as having been very far ahead of the curve when you think about how we look at these issues now. You know, the fluidity of, of gender identity Certainly. in these issues. Prior to the 60s, I mean, no one was hardly talking about LGBT anything except for in very, very negative ways until Kinsey came on, the, on board. And then we had some organizations forming, particularly in the larger cities like in New York and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um but it wasn't into Stonewall in 69 that we really started to see movement forward. So let's talk about that moment. Uh, what happened? June 28, 1969, the Stonewall riots happened, which basically uh, Stonewall is a small gay bar in Greenwich Village in New York. It was the first time that, well, let me step back. Commonly at that time, uh, gay establishments were often raided by by the police. And so by, um, for w- under what pretense? Well, a lot. Of, well, a lot of different ones. A lot of times it could have been around um, alcohol use, but also just because a lot of times aspects of homosexuality and cross-dressing and things were happening. Those establishments were illegal, and so were often being um, pursued by the police. So it was it was a growing and continuing problem. But finally, when Stonewall happened, it was the first time that that community really like stepped up and kind of fought back. And so the riots lasted several days. Um, for a long time, historians didn't really say that the folks that really were pushing back originally were transgender people. A lot of times they were drag queens. And so, you know, we took this as a big gay pride movement because back in the day we only said gay pride. We didn't right. say gay and lesbian. And then we didn't say gay, lesbian, bisexual. And now we use all four, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. Um, so it's really important to recognize that the transgender folks in our community really kind of got things moving for us in 69 at Stonewall. I cannot imagine the guts it took to 
be a drag queen in New York City in <laughs> 1969 and stand up to the police. Sure. I mean, that just is, that's amazing. So you feel like that's that watershed moment that the movement needed. I do. And I mean, and that's a pretty common held belief that that, that was really what got us started. I mean, in Stonewall, the Stonewall is still there. The bar is still there. And then it also became recognized as the national, as the national historic landmark during the Obama days. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Uh, how did it, how did it move the needle? Well, again, I think it just started to get people moving forward. It made people start to talk about these issues. So we started talking about um, discrimination laws. And so mm-hmm. early in the 1970s, we started having um, we started having more states look at uh, decriminalizing homosexuality, uh, particularly the sodomy laws. Um, they created more opportunities for visibility then. And we started seeing gay symbols in the community. Um, first started with the, you know, the gay community kind of reclaimed the pink triangle which was a symbol during Nazi Germany. Right. And in 1981, uh, AIDS comes on the scene. And how, in your understanding, did that transform uh, the gay movement and society's kind of view of the LGBT movement? I think in many ways, that's still what, for a lot of people, that's the only thing they knew about the gay movement in the 80s. Right, right. Really... In the 80s, we still were not talking about LGBT rights very much. Sure, in the cities, it was more on 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 point. But like in a place like Hagerstown, when I was growing up, I remember hearing nothing about LGBT until I remember hearing about AIDS. Mm-hmm. And as a young person that was, you know, questioning my sexuality, that was terrifying. Like, yeah. if that's the only thing I knew was that people that were like me and, and living that lifestyle were, were getting sick and dying... Yeah. It was something that really wanted, you know, it definitely probably held me in the closet longer. Sure. I didn't come out into my 20s. I think I found that probably to be a very stark and concerning first glance of what it meant. And I think also people started to think, even though in, in the 70s we were no longer listed as a psychological disorder, now people started thinking of gays as, as physically sick. Mm-hmm. So we went from being mentally sick to in the 80s. Now they're starting to think that, you know, because so many people had AIDS and were dying of AIDS, mm-hmm. that as a community, we were a sick community. When you talk to young people about this history and you get to the part here about the AIDS epidemic, I mean, what is their reaction? Well, it's interesting because for young people, that's so far removed at this point. Like they're still aware, you know, HIV is still an issue. Um, But even there, we've come so far, like, you know, between the drug treatments they've been developing for, you know, decades. And now, you know, they have PrEP, which is, you know, basically helps keep people from getting HIV. To you don't have it. to die. Exactly. So it's definitely viewed as more manageable, mm-hmm. which, you know, when I was a kid, it was viewed as a death sentence and yeah. something you wanted to avoid at all costs. Now people kind of see it as, you know, something that people can live with and manage. Right. Sure. So I don't want to go through my laundry list. I want to hear your laundry list. What's your next important date that mm-hmm. you discuss in your presentation? Well, I mean... Related to HIV, and I also think it was a time where people really became aware of gay people more in general, was um, Real World and Pedro Zamora in 1994. Oh, right. The reality TV show. Yeah, because that was huge. So it was on MTV. People my age were definitely watching a lot of MTV back in the day. I did. And everyone loved the real world. We were very connected to those cast of characters. And in 1994, you had Pedro Zamora, who was a gay activist, who was HIV positive, so that was the first time for a lot of us we'd seen that you know there was someone on TV that was HIV positive and portrayed in a really positive in a positive way as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you know he was likable, he was approachable, he was this great person, and so everyone liked him. It didn't matter if you were gay or straight. People thought, oh my god, it's a really 
fantastic individual. Puck didn't like him. Oh, well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you did watch. I sure did. Um, so then, you know, flash forward during that show, he, you know, he met a partner and he, they got married and that was televised on TV. And, you know, to my knowledge, it's like the first gay marriage that we had on TV in America. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so, you know, and that was powerful. I mean, yeah. as a, you know, I was still, I was still in the closet getting ready to come out then. And so for me, that was really powerful that I had this out, you know, role model on television. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to me, that was really important. And then also how he was treated when he, when he passed. Yeah. Because uh, you had the Fred Phelps people from Topeka, Kansas, that had the God AIDS fags um, protesting the funeral, and I think right. if you were, you know, liberal and open-minded and you know reject hate, you saw that as like a pretty horrible thing, even if you you know were not connected to the LGBT community. And so I think that started to really kind of get some people thinking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I view that as really significant. Now, let me ask a question about that. What is it about? seeing you know ellen coming out i think was another big moment what is what is the power of media there well it's it's a role model so we just didn't see people like us or if we did they were a comic relief or they were sick or there there was always there weren't people there weren't positive role models on television and if you didn't have them if you lived in a small town or if you live in franklin county you didn't see them out and about either so you didn't have any role models like so there weren't a lot of places so like when ellen came out i mean that was huge and again 1997 so it's been a while now again first time a tv title character had ever come out as gay or lesbian yeah you know we had the the sidekicks uh and sometimes the sidekicks weren't even really out they were just very you know they they appeared to be gay or lesbian but they necessarily didn't identify or uh, or the relationship wasn't part of the story or it was an actor portraying a gay person but not actually living as a gay person exactly but with when ellen came out i mean that was huge across the colleges so i was working at emerson then and almost every college i know in boston had an ellen coming out party and really? so we had like 75 students in the cafeteria watching that coming out episode and oh, so great. and then five years later i was at another college and we had a five-year reunion where we rewatched it again so mm-hmm. it was significant for a lot of people okay great what, let's move on to what you got next there on the presentation uh, next um well, you're into the late 90s at that point. So, you know, we start seeing, um, oh, Matthew Shepard happened in 98. So, I mean, that again was significant and made national headlines. And and when you think about, um, again, you know, he seemed like a pretty everyday young college student. And yeah. so, again, if you, even if you weren't LGBT, you identified with this, with this loss, uh, be it as, you know, another college student, being as a parent. You could understand how this was devastating to a community and devastating overall. And so those vigils happened across the country. And that did really come across as a purely a pure hate crime. Sure. You know, motivated by nothing else than just hatred of something that these two young men feared. So, okay, what's next? So, yeah, jumping to more positive things, we started to see, uh, I mean, when Tammy Baldwin got elected in Wisconsin as a as a representative, that mm-hmm. was significant because she actually ran as an out lesbian. So that was the first time that had happened. But Barney Frank had come out of yeah. the closet when he was in Congress, but she ran as a lesbian. That's a different thing. And got in. So again, yeah. it was showing a changing of the times. Yeah. Um, June 26, 2003 was significant because that's when the Supreme Court overturned uh, the sodomy laws across the country. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, it was legal in some states illegal in others for gay men to have sex and so in 2003 it overturned it everywhere in the country so even if there were these old laws from the 1800s on the books it got to overturn and i believe that case originated out of texas it did where the police broke into the home 
uh, a private home and, you know, they saw what was happening and they charged them and that that sparked the whole thing. It did. Um, And then I was living in Boston at this time. And so it was very exciting. Directly after that, we had gay marriage come to Boston. So we were the first state. Um, you know, other, Vermont had had civil unions come, but mm-hmm. Maryland, I Maryland, Massachusetts was the first state to have full same-sex mm-hmm. benefits statewide. So that was really significant. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, the Obama days were good for us yeah. as a community, um, as you can imagine. I mean, we saw improvements in, in hate crime legislation. Um, now, he went through a bit of a transformation on gay marriage. Uh, as a candidate and as an, you know, early on, he was not in favor. Sure. What do you think turned the tide there? I think second term helps a lot of people become more liberal. Oh, yeah. He's comfortable. There's <laughs> nothing you can do to me now. Exactly. So I, I think, you know, even though I, you know, I think Clinton in many ways was, a, you know, I, I was a huge Clinton supporter back when he was running and, but we had some pretty detrimental things come in place while he was there, you know, where we had Don't Ask, Don't Tell yeah. and uh, Defense and Marriage Act. Whereas when we finally got around to having Obama, we started seeing those things get overturned and we started seeing people being able to serve openly in the military, um, you know, on down the line. So, I mean, we saw some really progressive things starting to happen. And so things were looking up as far as um, transgender resources for from the Department of Education. And, um, you know, I never understood that titling, the defense of marriage, this idea that if gay people are allowed to marry, that I'm going to have to divorce my wife now. Because it didn't, it never made sense. Either love somebody or you don't, you know. And what's happening down the street shouldn't have any impact. Or at least that's how I looked at oh, it. And I'm always challenged because you know marriage is supposed to. Be, I we're supposed to have separation between church and uh, and state anyway. So right. a lot of the issues with you know gay marriage had was stemmed from religious views. And if we really have separation of church and state, that really shouldn't be an issue because even if you could get, you could still be able to get married even if you get married outside of the church, just like many other heterosexual couples do. Sure, sure, definitely. Where do you find us now? Because I feel like in reviewing the history that um, the march of progress is suddenly being slowed. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, we've actually felt a, a big step back under the under the Trump administration. And I think, um, well, I, on so many ways, I mean, he's overturned so many of the great things that we were experiencing during the Obama years. Um even at the very beginning, we lost the LGBT resources through the White House, um, through the government pages. Right, like, right. You know, there were all these great resources and they just took them down. So, you know, no matter where you fall, you know, it's important for people to have resources. And so, you know, you know, transgender people were able to serve in the military and now they can't. And the Department of Education. Um, well, has that been made official? Because my understanding was he just kind of threw that out there. And even the Pentagon was scratching their heads like, what are you talking about, man? I think that's probably accurate. So he said that's what they're doing. I don't know that they've actually worked out exactly how well, they're going We all to know that. there's a big gap between what the man says and reality. So so the, here we are in 2018. Uh, what's the state of things? What's the state of the movement, if you can encapsulate it? I know that's a big question. Sure. I mean, I think uh, statewide, we're still making great leaps and bounds and and, and and internationally you know more and more countries have same-sex marriage more and more countries have protections so i think it's really good as a as a world i think we're in a much better place and it's getting better all the time i, I think in um as a nation i think things are not fantastic right now but not just for lgbt people it's for any any minority of any type um faces more uh possible discrimination and more possible acts of hate i mean 
I personally experience more people like call out things at me really when I walk around, even just around here. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened a lot, but it's happened twice in the last year, and I can tell you it hadn't happened in several years before that. So they're throwing slurs at you. Or? Yeah, yeah, I've been called faggot twice in the last year. So in the Washington County, Franklin County area. Wow. So, um, yeah, and it's something I hadn't experienced in quite a while. Now I have often lived in major cities, so I have you know relocated to a much more rural area so now did you find though living in those cities did you feel that level of discrimination i mean i think things tend to be a little more liberal and progressive in large cities and so i think they felt very it felt very inclusive in those cities and i i can tell you hagerstown feels as a as a local hagerstown feels much more progressive than did 20 years ago well good um and so that's a good thing and hagerstown has a pride um now that i went to for the first time last year i mean it's not like any pride I'd ever attended in a city, but you know, why is that? Just, what was different small. about it? It's oh, a little small. festival. Okay. <laughs> um, but it was good. You know, it, it's all again about visibility. People yeah. see it. They don't know what it is. They check it out. They learn some things. And so now, you know, it, we're excited that Franklin County is having a pride this year on August the 5th. Yes. Yeah, so go ahead and uh, let, let's, let's, let's tout that. Give the uh, date location and everything and tell us a little bit about this. What's going on there? Sure. So for the first time ever, Franklin County is going to have its first Pride. It's going to be at Wilson College in Chambersburg. It's going to be on August the 5th. Um, and they have a website, pridefranklincounty.org. It should be a really good day. I mean, again, it's meant for everyone to come out. It's meant for families. It's meant for young people. Mm-hmm. There's going to be entertainers. There's going to be drag shows. They're going to have a coming out panel Okay. Uh, that I'm going to moderate, actually. So it should be a, it should be a nice experience. And again, for for Franklin County, I mean, it's it's brand new, and so and it yeah, uh, it's great that Wilson is going to host us because Wilson is so close to downtown yeah. Chambersburg. So, um, really big shout out for them for helping us out. But yeah, that is a big step for uh, for, for Chambersburg. But a lot's changed here. One other thing I want to I want to get to is the change in attitudes, especially from the millennials, in regards to you know, just their attitudes towards LGBT people. I think this has got to be one of the most encouraging things where young people don't seem to be carrying the prejudices of of their parents or grandparents as as we move forward. I think that's true. And I think we're we're seeing that across the country. So mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely uh, we're definitely trending in that direction. I, I, I will tell you, having worked at different at different schools, like there are still the more rural the community, the more folks you have that have stronger ties to their conservative backgrounds right. or stronger ties to different religious organizations. And so um, I know that's still a struggle for some folks, but I think it's important that um, we're, it's always important at every college and university we're exposing students to all different types of lifestyles sure. and all different types of, of people. And so um, that's you know one of the great things about being at a university. Let's bring let's get into religion. And how, you know, for let's say you're counseling a young person and they're from a religious family and they're ready to come out. I mean, how do you kind of bridge that gap? So we actually had a really great program on campus. This uh, I used to work at Suffolk University in Boston and the director of the Interface Center there is a Methodist minister, but she's very um, supportive of LGBT rights. And so I actually had her come down to Penn State Montalto. And she did a program about sexual minorities and world religions. Mm-hmm. And so she actually talked about that and helped students kind of understand what different scriptures and religious texts actually say about homosexuality, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so I think partly it's it's helping, I don't know if arm's the right word, but helping arm young people with the right information yeah, so they can have those conversations in an intelligent way. So I think that's part of it. I think 
um young people always need to be ready for whatever comes when they come out so they need to be prepared because not everyone's going to have a successful story more and more people do Mm -hmm. um you know it used to be back in the you know 40 years ago, no one had a successful coming out. Everyone, right. you came out and, you know, you might hold on to a friend or two, but, you know, a lot of the people really kind of disowned you. Yeah. And and that's not the case anymore. And so I think, but the flip side of that is you have to be realistic. And so if you come from a very conservative religious family, it's possible that they might, you know, they might take more time to become accepting or they might not become accepting. And mm-hmm. so a young person needs to know what that means. And they need to know what that means as far as financial support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you need to know what it means as far as a housing situation. So you need to have kind of all your ducks in a row to make sure that you're wow. really ready for it. Yeah, that really points out how uh, big a moment it is. Sure. That telling them you better have some money in the bank and be ready to move out and just, you know, to have your life upended. I mean, I I waited until my last semester in graduate school. On purpose. I, on purpose, because I at that point, all my parents did was pay for my car. Okay. So if I had to get a car, <laughs> I could have figured out a okay. way. Okay. But I already school was paid for, you know, my health insurance was covered. I was getting ready to do a job, a job search. Mm-hmm. So I was very intentional because I, I didn't know. Again, I came, you know, I was an only child. I came from Hagerstown. Like, I thought my parents would be supportive, but I was worried they might not. And so, you know, I was intentional that I waited until January of my last semester in grad school. And that's when I came out. Now, they are, are they religious people? I, you know, I was raised Lutheran, so they were, they're Christian, but they are not super active in the church or anything. Oh, so, okay. so but I still was concerned. I, okay. I remember, you know, it's just like in any, anyone would, would do this. I remember back, you know, 15 years earlier, some, we had a friend of the family who came out and I remember a not positive comment from my parents Ooh. and that was a much different day, but yeah. at the time it stuck with me. And so it was like, also not their kid. True. And that's the whole visibility and the whole like P flag I was yeah. talking about, because when you come out to family members, it changes their perceptions. And so it's important that we keep coming out because the more people that know, it's one thing to say a negative thing about a gay person. But if you get to know me, it's a different thing if you say a negative thing about me personally. Right, right. So you have here as one of your bullet points, what is the state of LGBT rights today in the US and more specifically in Pennsylvania? Since Pennsylvania is where we live, uh, what is the state of the state of our of, of rights for LGBT people? So the first thing I'll share, just because I think it's really cool, is that your and I hope I don't get the title wrong. Surgeon General okay. is transgender. Okay. Uh, and I say you are because I live in Maryland. Sorry, I work in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I didn't know that, and so last year I saw her speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic speaker, but in a in a state where, uh, you know, you have definitely have some conservative uh parts of pennsylvania uh some yeah well <laughs> again i live in maryland uh, uh but there's a lot of conservative people in pennsylvania and your surgeon general was voted through unanimously mm-hmm. as a transgender woman that's fantastic that's kind of amazing and so it piqued my interest and it also made me think wow there's like a lot of hope in the world when like that happens in a conservative state yeah so so I just want to share that because I thought that's it's really cool, and I feel like people don't know it or talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, that's okay. The other while you're while you're looking, the other woman, Danica Rome. Are you familiar with her? She ran for office in Virginia and was elected. Oh, I did see that. And when she was interviewed, I thought what she said was amazing. The reporter wanted it to be about her. Um, her transgender status 
Instead, she redirected to, you know, the people elected me to, you know, do a, do a job, to pave the roads, to, you know, get things done. And I thought that was so great how she just, that's not what we're talking about. We're past that conversation now. So go ahead with what you've got. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, that, you know, basically we have full marriage equality, but that's across the nation now. We have um, other forms of re- uh, relationship recognition. Um, we have transgender health care. Uh, which is partially supported by Pennsylvania. We have, sorry, it's okay, it's okay. It's really little. Well, let me say, let me share a few things actually that, that we they don't support currently across the state. Okay. And some of those things would be there's not um, protection currently for housing and for employment. There's not uh, that hate crimes do not protect everyone in the LGBT community. Right. Um, public accommodations, anti school bullying, and in education are all areas of still work to do. So while we have marriage, and that's partly because it became national. Yeah, the Supreme Court. Um, and while we have some protections in healthcare, we still have a long ways to go because we, you know, we never had, we don't have nationwide protections under all those areas as far as housing. Yeah, and, so and this is a major issue of contention where you're coming up against the religious community specifically. Sure. Um, locally, the borough council, was it, what did they pass, Jeremy? An ordinance to support a resolution it was some kind of long-winded, but it, was, it, it wasn't an ordinance. It was a it was a resolution okay. of uh, support for uh, equal rights and the protection of uh, yeah the protection, yeah, of, LGBT. protection of LGBT and, and the state law. And I do know in Harrisburg, right? They've got one. They've they've got a bill, but no one's acting on it. Right. I think that's yeah. what's happening, and I think that's pushback from the religious community mm-hmm. where they feel that. If you're granted full status and rights, it's somehow going to infringe on their ability to practice their religion. I'm not sure I understand the reasoning there, but... Well, it's interesting. If you had asked me 15 years ago what would come first, like the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, which they always called ENDA, or marriage equality, I would have said ENDA, because I thought for sure that not firing LGBT people from employment or evicting us from housing seemed much more basic rights than marriage equality and marriage also has that connection to religion that seems much more scary to churches and yes. folks so never thought that would have happened and when we got it in massachusetts i still thought we were going to be hanging out here still for a massachusetts long time. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah i never saw that happening before employment non-discrimination mm-hmm. which and it has and so that's interesting on one hand we can get married and we have full marriage rights but, but i can still fired. get fired right. depending on the company or the city or the state i live in so um, but no, and the whole religious freedom thing has just grown and grown in recent years, and yeah. it, it you know even more so now with Trump and Pence in the White House because Pence is a big pusher of that. So, yeah. you and know. you've also got the uh, the Supreme Court case of the Baker, yes, and that how that shakes out could change a lot of things. Sure, I mean if he wins, um, that won't be a good harbinger. No, it won't, and it's gonna it will impact all sorts of businesses across the country, but not just LGBT. I think that's the that's the big catch there is that people right now are thinking it's religion and LGBT, but it could be it could be religion and gender or religion and race, depending on what the religion, what the people and the, the religious faith, what they believe in. They it's could what, discriminate against a whole range of people. Yeah, it's what they pick and choose out of the Old Testament to sure. wield against people they disagree with. Any final thoughts for us? Uh, maybe we want to give that program uh, that date again. Producer Jeremy, what you got? <laughs> Yeah, Curtis is going to be at the uh, Coil Free Library on June 9th for the uh, second Saturday um, Common Grounds. 
event. That's from 10 a.m. until noon in the conservatory at the newly renovated library there with free coffee from Brussels Cafe. So we look forward to uh, people coming out and seeing you in person and asking questions if they have them. Great. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It was a pleasure having you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah. Also uh, coming up is uh, Ezra Thrush. He'll be the July speaker, July 14th. He's the director of policy at Penn Future, and he'll be speaking on climate stewardship and environmental justice. So that's July 14th. And coming up on the Progress Pod... We uh, hit the beach next week, but the week after that, we're looking at bringing back no one of our favorites. Sandbridge. We have a show <laughs> maybe from Maybe live from Sandbridge. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. Um, but uh, Ann Hull from... Yeah, uh, got to have Ann Hull back. Ann Hull from Franklin County Historical Society. We had talked to her about coming back in June to talk about the 200th anniversary of the old jail in and Chambersburg. If, if you didn't listen to the earlier podcast about La, uh, Lavinia Doc, you need to. It was an excellent show. She gave an excellent presentation. So yeah. look forward to speaking with her again. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have her back soon. And I guess that's all we've got right now to announce on tap. So look for us at progresspod.org. Find us on Twitter at theprogresspod. Best Twitter on the internet. If you say so. And... What else, Pete? How else can they find us? SoundCloud and iTunes and... Um... And your house, if they want to visit. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everybody. All right, we'll see you.